0: back to Authors on the Air. Today I'm speaking with New York Times best-selling author Allison Brennan. Allison's new book, her second of three this year, is out today. It is called Seven Girls Gone. Allison, welcome back to Authors on the Air.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I love coming on your show, Pam. You're always so much fun. We get to catch up. We do catch
0: up and I, I love that. But you know, I, you and I were talking in the green room about how many books you've written. Now, um, now we've known each other for twelve or thirteen years—a long you, time. You have now finished forty-four books. I think you are the on, one of the only authors I know who is a New York Times best-selling author consistently, who writes more than two books a year. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. How in the world, with your busy schedule, are you able to fit in that much writing? Well, um,
1: I treat writing as a job. I mean, I love it, which makes it I feel kind of guilty that I love it so much. But I actually get paid to write books. And it's so it's important to me to treat it as a job. And it's funny um, because I used to get questions, you know, especially when I first sold and I was doing three books every year. Now I'm doing two one year, three the next. Um, I was asked, oh my gosh, how can you find the time to write? You have five kids and yada, yada, yada. I said, you know, no one ever asked me how I had time to get up and go to work (laughs) when I used to work outside the home, when I used to work in the California legislature. I had to be up out of the house before eight, get the kids off to school or daycare get to the office before 9 leave right at 5 in order to pick up the kids before daycare closed at 6 or the after school care closed at 6 and get home and make them dinner and put them in bed nobody ever asked me how i was able to do that and yeah. trust me that i do not write 10 hours a day um, i might do writing related things 10 hours a day but i'm probably my core writing time is 6 hours 6 maybe 7 hours depending and then i'll do you know social media um uh, answering emails, you know, coming up with ideas, doing a lot of research, I do tons of research, and I'll do the other time with that, but at least it's it's very flexible, um, which is nice. So uh, yeah, that's what I do. I treat it like a job. The kids, uh, now all my kids are out of school now. My youngest is 18, but um, when they went off to school, that was my writing time. I wrote, and then I was able to go to their practices or their soccer games or football games, whatever they were playing in the afternoon because I had the flexibility that I never had in the legislature. And if I had to, I could write every weekend, which I, I usually do write on weekends. Just I just don't do the full days.
0: I wonder how many male writers are asked the same thing because... They're not. They're, they're not... Doing the children thing, doing the breakfast thing, running them to school, going off to work, coming back, you know, picking them up for daycare, making dinner, making sure they're bathed, the homework is done, and then all the other household things that you kind of do. So here's to you, Allison Brennan, for being terrific, and, um, and you're always so pleasant to talk to and always so interesting. So I want to start at the back of your book because... Um, You and I have a lot of mutual friends, and in your acknowledgments, you did um, do a hat tip to a couple of people that we both really admire quite a bit, Tony Causey and D.P. Lyle. I know that your books are very research-centric. You really like research. You could (laughs) almost still go down the research hole, couldn't you? I often do,
1: unfortunately. It it could be a great time sec, especially if I'm procrastinating.
0: So a big portion of this book is ta- is placed in the bayou. Yep. How much did you know about the bayou before you started writing this book? Um,
1: I've never been in the deep bayou, like, you know, in the swamps. But I have been to Louisiana many times. And my grandparents are from Alabama. So I used to go visit the South a lot when I was little. So, I had a, a general familiarity. I mean, um, the grandma in the book who cooks all the time, my my great grandma Turner, oh my gosh, you go to her house in Alabama and she had to feed you. Oh my gosh, you're so skinny. You can yeah. go with this. So, I, and it was, and when I would go visit uh, older after my grandma died, and I visit my aunts and uncles that still lived in the area, it was like you come in and you sit down and eat. Everything revolves around food. Yes. And I think that that is very true even to this day in a lot in the South, especially with oh, large families, everything absolutely. was around the table. And I actually kind of miss that because it's it's such a great way to connect as family. So I really did want to incorporate that in the book. In terms of the deep bayou, I did rely heavily on research. I read the book, Murder in the Bayou by um, Ethan Brown, which had a lot of great uh, details about some of the, the people and the culture and, um, You know, everything runs on very, very slow. Tony helped me immensely. Anytime I would like say, hey, um, you know, what would happen here? And there was like, for example, um, there's one scene in the book where I had this kid who was pretty much a good, he was a, a good kid. He was the son of the police chief. And I said, I emailed Tony. I said, what could he do that isn't bad, like illegal, but is something that, you know, he would cut school for and she gave me that fishing contest. She says, oh my gosh, you know, uh, my brother would just, you know, he would totally cut out on school to go be able to do this competition here. And then that's the kind of stuff I needed. I would never have guessed that. So she helped me out with like those little kinds of details that I wanted to use to flesh out characters. And um, so, she, yeah, I would text her or call her um, or send her long rambling
0: emails whenever I was like really stuck. And she was a great help. So now we're going to go back to the beginning. This is the Quinn and Costa book number four. Um, You're the readers really, really have enjoyed this series quite a bit. They talk about it an awful lot. I know that our reviewers are crazy for this series. They love it. Um, Can you give us a little, just a little pitch about this book? Because I never want to give away anything that, might tickle the reader's fancy. We just want to let people know what it's about. And again, give us a little sense of who Quinn and Costa are first. Um, So I,
1: I'll kind of give you a little history of how I kind of came up with the series, just because I think it's, it's one of those things that I started thinking about because my film agent said, oh, this is a really hard sell because there is no mobile response team in the FBI. And I'm like, but it's, Based on a real FBI squad. So when I went to the FBI Citizens Academy back in 2008, way back when, um, and I uh, was taught, you know, I talked to all the agents there, and I was got to learn everything about how the FBI works locally in Sacramento. Um, and they have what's called an evidence response team. Almost every regional office has one, and it's agents in the squad in in the office that will come together, they all have specialties, and they get special training for whatever their specialty is, whenever there is a particularly big case. And the one that they use as an example was the Yosemite murders, where um, Stainer killed three women from Yosemite, but he he killed one and he kidnapped two and took them um, up to either far Northern California, might have been Oregon. Um, the evidence response team came and investigated that. And they followed the case from beginning to end every aspect of it. So they have people that specialize in, you know, uh, forensic collection, they specialize in psychology or whatever it happens to be. And it's a team of like eight to 12 people, depending on the office. So what's, I said, Oh, I love that. I want to write that, but I didn't want to keep it in one area. I had the Lucy Kincaid series, which is set in San Antonio. Um, I had, a series, like a romantic suspense trilogy set in Sacramento FBI. So I didn't want to go back there, which is where I was familiar. I wanted to do something a little different. I said, well, what if I had a national group that went around into small and rural communities? And I love writing about small towns um, because murder in small towns is just very different than murder in New York City. Um, and so that, I took the ERT and I just made it national. So Matt Costa was picked to be the Uh, head of the mobile response team by his boss, who is also a friend of his, uh, the assistant director of the FBI and said, put him in, we're gonna do a pilot project, Um, you can pick your team. So that's all, that right there was a kind of sticking point for Matt. I mean, he wants the best of the best. And so he had a very small team in the first book and it's gradually grown. Um, In the first book, uh, Kara Quinn is an LAPD detective and she was on leave, administrative leave after an officer involved shooting. Um, and so she went to Washington to visit her, her grandmother, cause she was forced to, forced to, forced to get out of LA and she got involved with the case. So they, they became involved romantically, um, but more all to solve, you know, they solved the crime, but they never expected to see each other again. So then at the end of the book, we learn Kara can't go back to LA. Um, the guy who she was had uh, arrested for human trafficking um and and labor violations a bunch of other stuff so she um he is out on bail the feds are taking over the case they've completely messed it up and he has a hit out on her so her boss wants her to go work for the mobile response team until he goes to trial so i that gives me like a year that she gets to do it until um until the trial and then of course i I'm not going to give anything away, but the next book that comes out next year is about the trial of David Chen. So that, or pre-trial motions, um, because he's trying to get the entire case thrown out, all the evidence thrown out. And if that happens, obviously he'll go free. So that's the next book. So Matt and Kara are working together and they, uh, which is just a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of sexual tension, but it's not romantic suspense in the traditional sense. Um, because I really, really focus on the murders and the suspense. For Seven Girls Gone, I, um, I was reading a lot about the Jeff Davis 8, which is a real life unsolved mystery. And I just felt really compelled to not solve that crime. Obviously, it's a real murder, but to write about um, victims who tend to get lost in the system because, you know, the victims in my book are prostitutes and they're drug addicts and they tend to be, okay, oh, that's another another dead hooker. You know, wash this side. I don't wanna just forget about it. I want to say, okay, you know, these are people too. And so I focus really on the family, like the family members and what has happened to them as they're the women that they love and maybe they've made some bad decisions um, have been killed and I wanna solve those crimes. So that's kind of was the impetus of the story. And I think that Kara is a great character to go in there because she's just very down to earth. You know, she's going to say, yeah, you made some really bad decisions, but you know what, I'm going to go solve your murder because this is wrong. It's not fair that someone's getting away with this.
0: I like that. I have to tell you, um, even in real life, it's, you were right. Generally those victims are marginalized. Um, as is a lot of violence against women. So I'm glad that you're tackling that. Now, is Matt also motivated to help the, to find answers for these victims? Matt is,
1: Matt's motivated in other ways, I think. Um, He is, I mean, he's very law and order. You know, he, he believes in the law, he believes in justice. He is always going to do, ultimately do the right thing. Um, He will bend the rules a little bit, um, but he lets Kara go because he, in in the book, there was a scene where Matt's reflecting on his two agents because Michael Harris is a former Navy SEAL, very, just, you know, got an apple pie. I mean, Michael's the guy that you want next to you if you're going into any bad situation.
0: Um,
1: And Michael is very, um, he follows the rules. There was a the second book in the series, he had to go undercover and he had a really difficult time because he had to lie. He does not lie well. Um, he really wants a home. He wants a family because he didn't have that growing up. His brother was killed in the drive by shooting. His mother was a drug addict, died very young. He didn't have family. The team has kind of become his family, but he wants his own family. And So he's now second guessing whether he can stick this out because they have to travel so much and he can't date. And settle down and you know, all the things that he wants. He says he wants right. to be able to, you know, play catch with his kids before he gets too old to throw a ball. So that's kind of Michael. And he's he's a great guy. And, and so Matt is reflecting that if he could combine Michael with his strong ethics, his sense of right and wrong, his diligence, his tactical training with Kara, who has a lot of empathy and a lot of um compassion, but also that that gut that cops like to talk about, the instincts. And if he could combine them into the one agent, he would have like the super agent. You know, because everybody is, everybody has pros and cons in real life and in, in books, you don't want to make characters so perfect that they can do no wrong.
0: Right. And
1: Kara sometimes, she she can put herself at risk. She doesn't have a death wish, but if she feels that by doing something, she's going to be able to help another person, she's going to go and do it. She doesn't always think things through. Michael's a thinker. Michael will like plan. I mean, he was in the military. It's like, okay, we have to have a plan. And then we implement the plan. And then we have contingencies on our plan. And Kara is, I'm just going to go do it. So, I mean, they, <laughs> right? they work really, they've really learned to work well together. And I love writing them together because um, they're so different. But they're also have some, you know, I don't know. They're, they're just fun
0: to do. They they complement each other, so that's a good thing. So one of the things that I always ask, and I I always want someone to be clear on, is the importance of plot in a book. So what is your theory or your feeling about the most important thing when writing plot? Well, first, I don't plot. I I think... But well, you're an organic figure. writer, I understand that. Yes. But when you're when you are looking at the plot line, I should say, what's the most important <laughs> thing you want to get you want to get into your book so that the reader gets the story? What do you have to do to make a plot line great? Um
1: I think for me, when I'm writing, I want it to be as authentic as possible. I want the story to feel real. So I want the plot to feel real. I wanna feel like you can recognize the people on the page. So whether you know them personally or not, you could recognize the type of person on the page or the situation. And you could see how these characters can fall into the situation. Um, you know, So I think authenticity is really important to me in terms of plot. You wanna make sure it's, it's something that people can not just relate to, I mean, a lot of people can't relate to drug addicts. I mean, but I think everybody has known somebody who right. has gotten addicted to right. drugs. Right. So I want to make sure that I can kind of keep that. But it, when I kept with up with the overall plot, um, like I said, I don't really plan it all out. And so I don't know how it all comes together at the end. And I know that sounds really bad
0: as a writer. No, it doesn't. Actually, it makes sense to me because it gives you freedom to go ahead and write in the spur of the moment. So you're also writing decisions that your characters are making in the spur of the moment so i i i understand that completely allison you're pretty well known throughout the crime fiction community you've been very active with international thriller writers and so on and so forth um is it exciting for you when someone comes over to you and says i know who you are you're allison brennan and i love your books (laughs) um well, nobody recognizes
1: me, and that's one of the nice things about authors is you usually don't recognize an author unless you're going to a writers' conference. I mean, you recognize the big ones. I mean, if Stephen King walked down the street, I would totally know who he was. I but probably wouldn't, <laughs> but,
0: but I recognize or, you. Well, yeah, but um, but, but I guess I love
1: when I get like um, emails from readers and like, the, oh, I loved your book, or I um, this really hit home. Um, you know, I, I I do really like that contact and like, you know, kind of the pat on the back because it's like, okay, I'm not writing into the void. You know, I'm writing and people actually are reading my books. And so that actually makes me very happy. I, um, you know, I like looking at what people are reading, like when I go to the airport. And I'll like look, but, but people have the people have e readers. I can't see what they're reading anymore. That's really frustrating. And I
0: have seen people- easiest way to travel, my dear, when you're going for any length of time, you can't carry all the books on, you know. So you oh, so I you know. have to have an e reader. I, I I understand that though. Do you when you have the chance to talk to readers, do you like the one to one interaction? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think so. I I, I think One to one is a little harder because you feel like you're kind of on stage a little bit and you have to, um, you know, know what to say. And I don't know, It's but I love small groups. Like I spoke to this group uh, recently and there was like, you know, 40 women. Um, That was a lot of fun. I love those kind of small groups like, you know, book clubs or like library groups, things like that love doing that because then I can like talk a little bit about writing and how it got started and then they ask questions and you know often the questions are very similar where do you come with your ideas and stuff but every once in a while there'll be like a really great question like what do you say to um, a young person that really wants to write you know where what kind of resources can you offer you know I I like doing that that's fun Um, so that that's what I would say I think I, I love the small groups. And so that's why that one reason I'm looking forward to Thriller Fest is because they do a lot of those small group things where you yes. get like 20 people in the room and you could talk about I'm doing a no plotters
0: allowed workshop. And <laughs> I love doing that. That's, yeah. that's kind of my favorite stuff to do. I like that. Um, The book is called, I'm speaking to Alison Brennan, the book is called Seven Girls Gone. It is available everywhere today. It's widely uh, distributed today, any place you like to buy your books. Um, I like to say we, we, we appreciate indie bookstores, but really we appreciate all bookstores and we appreciate libraries too. So go and look for Seven Girls Gone. By New York Times bestselling author Allison Brennan, Allison, we will see you again soon because you have another book coming out at the end of this year. What is the title of that book? Uh, North of Nowhere
1: comes out in August, and it's my first standalone, and I'm really excited about that. So I look forward to coming back on and discussing discussing that book because it's completely different than what I normally do. <laughs>
0: Uh, when, if, if one of the audience members wants to find you, where's the best place to get all the information about you in one place? Allisonbrennan.com. My website has links to all social media.
1: Um, my Substack newsletter, you can sign up for my um, quarterly newsletter
0: uh, there. And yeah. Thank you, Allison. I appreciate you taking the time to be with me today. And I know a few other hosts in this network are interested in speaking to you too. You're a very popular guest. (laughs) Thank you for being with me. And thank you, mom and dad. I'll see y'all later.